Hello, I am Heidi and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people and share true stories of overcoming life's challenges. We are taking life's lemons and making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Ben. Welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I am so looking forward to getting to know you and hearing your story. So start out by telling me just a couple of things about yourself. All right. Well, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Heidi. Thank you. Uh, so my name is Ben Shalati. Uh, I'm a quarter Lebanese. My last name is actually Anglicized Arabic. It's very hard to pronounce and spell. Uh, <laughs> it's Shalati. I grew up in, in the Seattle area in Washington State. Uh, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I currently am 38 years old. I live in Provo, Utah, where I work as an administrator at Brigham Young University. Uh, I'm also a gay member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Last year, I had a book come out called A Walk in My Shoes, questions that I'm often asked as a gay Latter-day Saint, which I'm very proud of. And I also host a podcast called Questions from the Closet, where my co-host and I have a guest on every episode to discuss questions that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus Latter-day Saints. So, uh, this thing that I hate about myself, like my orientation, has become this really influential and big part of my life, which is not something I ever expected. Yeah, you never expected that, right? Like, this no. is like the way you are, and now it's turned into a platform to be able to help other people. So that must be your story. You got to take me back and tell me what's happened to you and why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, so, you know, I, I grew up, like I said, in the Seattle area. I just had like the best parents. They were loving and kind and affirming. And I was a kid in the you know, in the nineties and a teen in the late nineties and early two thousands. Back then, even in society, it wasn't okay to be gay. Like if there were gay characters in movies, for the most part, like in movies and TV shows, they were like comedic relief. It was like funny that they were gay. Yeah. And so you know, I was raised in a time and a culture where it just wasn't okay to be gay. And so I thought, you know what, this isn't me. This is just like a phase I'm going through. And I would do like all kinds of mental gymnastics to try and explain away what I was feeling. I'm like, you know, I wish I was athletic and handsome. So I'm just, I'm just admiring that person. Not that I am attracted to that person. You know, those were the kinds of things I would, I would tell myself. In the Larry Saint culture, it's, it's pretty much an expectation that when you're 19 or 20, you'll serve a mission for 18 months to two years. Uh, and go, you know, preach about Jesus and teach people about um, our doctrines and beliefs. And and so I thought, well, I'm going to serve God. And then this this thing about me that I don't like will be fixed. Like I will go be the best me. I'll serve God and I'll come back from my mission and things will be fixed. So I spent two years in Chihuahua, Mexico, which is in northern Mexico. And then I came back from my mission when I was 21 years old. And for the first time realized uh, it hadn't changed. I was like, I was still attracted to guys. And I thought, oh no, now what am I supposed to do? Like now it's time to get married. It's time to move on with life. It's time to get that next step. And there's this huge barrier in front of me. And I thought, okay, well, the mission didn't work, but of course, like there's no way I can be gay. Like this can't be an actual thing. This has, there has to be a way to fix this. So that started a few years of me trying to do literally everything I could to change my orientation. That included, you know, praying, you know, fasting, going out, going without food and water for a day, you know, seeking special blessings, going on lots of dates with women. I, I went on 27 blind dates with women in my 20s. So I spent thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours trying to get married. I was totally unsuccessful at it. And I also went to therapy to try and change my orientation. And then none of that worked. And I'm just as gay now as I was then. And my orientation has shifted in no way at all. 
I love it's almost like you're gonna try to wash the gay away or something is like yeah. what you're trying to do and it is not happening but you hid it then that whole time because you were just trying not to even admit it to yourself yeah you know in my teen years I would say I lived in a sea of denial and you know okay. denial can be a really powerful coping mechanism it's not always a bad thing like I wasn't prepared to confront this reality and then I just lived in denial until I was ready to confront it so what happened yeah so the the, the tough part with being gay and being a, a, a Latter-day Saint is that our our doctrine and our church is so focused on marriage between a man and a woman. Like it's not just important here, but it's important eternally. And so there's this huge cultural expectation and doctrinal expectation even uh, to, to get married to an opposite, an opposite sex partner. And so that's why I was trying so hard to get married. And I had a few girlfriends and they were really wonderful and and uh, I came out for the first time when, when I was when I was 23 years old to my two best friends. Uh, and then, you know, for the rest of my 20s, I, I, I just did what I could to, to be good. And I thought, you know, someday this will end. Someday I'll be changed. Someday I'll be able to marry a woman. Like, of course, that's the only way life can work out. Uh, and then when I was 29 years old, um, I had this best friend who was also a member of the church and also gay. And we just fell in love with each other. And it wasn't expected. It wasn't what I was what I was trying to do. It just kind of happened. And that was like really exciting, but also so terrifying. Uh, and so there was this constant battle of, okay, I want to stay true to my beliefs, but I also really love this person. They're really important to me. And then what happened over like a five-month relationship was he was trying to pull me out of the church as he was leaving. And I was trying to keep him in. And like make it make it work so that we could like stay in together. And then it got to a point where that just kind of fell apart. That just wasn't going to work. Then things ended and I was devastated. Now I dated women before. I'd had girlfriends before. And I was always sad when those ended. You know, you're always sad when a relationship ends. Uh, but when this relationship ended, like it was like I was shattered. And I was like, oh, this is why they call it a heartbreak. It feels like my heart actually broke. And so I just was like in the depths of despair, to quote Anne Shirley from Anna Green Gables. And I was living in Arizona at the time, and I got in my car and drove up to Washington to my parents' house. And I'd come out to them when I was 23. They weren't really prepared for the conversation, but they were really loving and kind. And my, my mom asked me if I thought it was a phase, and I said, I hope so. And and she cried, but like, happy, I love you, tears. And then my dad said, well, you're probably better off being single, because being married is hard. You know, typical things could be worse, so be grateful grateful for what you got, kind of thing. Um, and then about once a year for the next seven years, it was just kind of like a, have a whole same-sex attraction thing going. And I would say, good, and, but we didn't really talk about it much. And then after this experience with this with this boyfriend was, was over, and I, I drove home and just like unloaded all these years of unsaid things onto my parents. And I just, like, my, my life had just fallen apart. I, I was doing a PhD program that I wasn't happy in. I didn't have a job for the fall. I was just like, I didn't have a relationship. I didn't have a job. I didn't like my school. Like everything just felt bleak. Just It all felt like it was falling apart. And so I just like unloaded all these things onto my parents in their living room. And then this is what my mom said. She said, Ben, we're not just on your side. We're with you 100%. If you need to marry a man, you and he will always be part of our family. So, you know, what do they do? They, they honored my choices. They honored my, they honored my ability to make choices. And so I thought, well, well what do I want to do? And, you know, I could do whatever I want. They're not going to make me do anything. And I decided I was done. Like, I didn't want to be part of the church anymore, just causing me pain. And I felt like there was just no room in this doctrine or culture for, for a place like, for, for a person like me. And so 
what I did was I, I decided I, I was going to leave my religion, going to leave that behind. But I still believed in God, still believed in the importance of studying his word. So I kept reading scriptures every day and praying every day. And it was really interesting because like I was in this like super heartbreak moment. And I would wake up in the morning and just like feel this feel this pit in my stomach. And then I would say a prayer and it would like fill in a little bit. I don't know if you've experienced that, but um, and then I would like read the scriptures and then it would like fill that in again. And then I would like go watch TV, and then like the pit would just like come back. And so I saw that as I like interacted with things that were important to me, you know, tried to cultivate this relationship with God that really helped me feel better. And so I found myself reading in the book of Matthew in the New Testament in Matthew 26. And this is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's the night before the crucifixion. And he says this prayer uh, to, to God. And he, he says, Father, if thou be willing, be, be willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I knew that prayer. It wasn't something that I was very, I was very familiar with it. And as I kept reading, I noticed something I never noticed before. And it was that Jesus offered that same prayer two more times. So three times he said, Father, I don't want to do this thing I'm about to do. Is there any way out of this? But if there isn't, I'll do what you want me to do. You know, I, I'd always been told, you know, like, like, what would Jesus do? You know, be like Jesus, act like Jesus, you know, develop Christ-like attributes. And it occurred to me that being like Jesus was not wanting to do something hard. Like, if I didn't want to do something hard, that was a Christ-like attribute. And so that, like, gave me permission to, like, not want to do something I didn't want to do. But I thought, well, what cup is God offering me? Like, what does he want me to do? And I thought, well, I want to do his will, whatever it is, but I don't know what it is. And so I knelt down and said a very fervent prayer. And I said, Heavenly Father, whatever you want me to do, whatever cup you're offering me, I want to drink it. I will do whatever you want me to do. I just have to know what it is. And just please tell me what it is. And and I just with this real intent of whatever happens, I'm going to do it. I felt a very strong and very clear impression that I was supposed to live my life within the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that was so annoying because that was not what I wanted. (laughs) <laughs> and so this led to a big paradigm shift because, you know, in, in the church, in church culture, we, we often talk about these, like, like we call them the primary answers because they're what we're, we learn when we're children. When you pray every day, you read your scriptures every day, and you go to church every week. And I thought, I can't do that anymore. That's not going to work for me. So instead of praying every day, I decided I was going to do my best to commune with God every day. And instead of reading the scriptures, I was going to study his word. Instead of going to church, I was going to worship with with uh, fellow Christians. And so I just tried to deepen all these things. And then another thing that I had told myself was, okay, I'm going to stay in the church. I thought, no, no, I can't just stay in the church. I have to move forward in the church. And so my paradigm shifted from like stagnation and feeling trapped to, okay, how am I going to move forward? And that's when things really started to shift for me. Oh, my goodness. I just love the way you said those three primary answers and how you just deepened them. Like they're still the same thing, but the way yep. you look at them went into a deeper level. So you still did all those things. You still did the prayers and the scripture reading and going to church, but you just called it something different that was so much deeper. Yeah. And and I found like for me to survive and thrive, like I had to have deep needs behind. I couldn't just exactly. check off boxes, but I had to like make them part of me. Because you're going to a religion that's against what 
you are feeling like that's against your innate feelings towards the same sex attraction. So it's like, that would be really hard. You would have to be deeper in that or you'd have to leave. Yeah, exactly. I've got to ask you when you told your two best friends, when you were 23, you said you told two best friends that you were gay. So what was their reaction? Yeah. So one of them was, was my roommate. Um, and we were best friends at the time. His name is Craig. When, when you're gay and in the closet, you imagine all these reactions people are going to have when you come out. And it's almost always bad. Like we imagine like, the worst reaction. Right. And so when I came out to them and we were just sitting in a park when, um, out, on, out on a walk. And so when, when I came out to them, like my other friend was talking more at first. And Craig, the, my roommate, wasn't saying very much. And so I finally verbalized this fear I'd had for months. And I said, Craig, I understand if you don't want to be my roommate anymore. And he said, why wouldn't I want to be your roommate? You're the same person you've always been. We love you. You can talk to us whenever you want to about this. Uh, we claim you. And this changes nothing. Mm. Now, a lot of people miss this, but I, I dedicated my, my book to, to Mitch and Craig, who were the, the first people I came out to, because my book's called A Walk in My Shoes. And they were the first people that that I invited to walk in my shoes. And I dedicated my book then because that was like such a healing experience for me. Right. Uh, to be able to like say, I hate this thing about me. What are you going to do with it? And then they said, we're just going to hold it and we're going to love you the same. Mm. You're very blessed that way. And even with your parents' reaction as well, because you just hear all the other stories, you know, of, of how people are treated. And even I've even heard maybe it was you who said this is that you don't want them to say, Oh, I thought so. You know, you don't want the reaction yeah. to be, Oh, I figured you were because you think you're hiding it so well and you don't want them to go oh, great. Now, now everybody knows I've been lying about this. So it's just, it sounds like their reaction was exactly what you needed. And what most people I think need is just, I love you. I hold space for you. It doesn't change who you were an hour ago or yesterday. You're still this wonderful person that I love and that I want to stay in my life. Yeah. That's exactly. the best reaction we can do for anyone giving any kind of news. Yep. Yep. 100%. And so I was, I was in this place of like so much shame, like in my twenties, just, just like all this shame, just like wishing I could be different. And then when I didn't change, and then, and I fell in love with this guy, I was like, well, then I want my culture to change. I want my church to change. And it was this place of like, okay, either I have to change or society has to change. Like there wasn't a way that things could work, like move forward as they were. And so then both those things just left me feeling powerless because both those things were just like so outside of my control because I really couldn't change myself. Like as much as I tried to change my orientation, it's not possible for me. And then obviously like my, my church and its doctrine teaching, like I can't change that. Like that's not even, that's like I could try all day long and it would never happen. So I thought, well, there are these things that I can't change. And, you know, if I want, like I, I want to change my orientation and I didn't, and I'm grateful that I didn't change. And. I want to change my church culture and I couldn't. And I'm grateful for that too, because that's outside of my sphere of influence. And so just learning to figure out, okay, this is my reality. How can I live my best life within the reality that I have in my, my, my given circumstances. And, and it's, it's, it's led me to, to really figure out, okay, these are the circumstances that have been given to me. How can I build a good life with these circumstances? Yeah. 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 So what is your lemonade? What did you do? Yeah. So this is what happened. So after this experience with my parents um, and then, then praying, just like really feeling like, okay, time to move forward. These are my, this is what I want to do going, like, I, I want to make this work, but my life circumstances hadn't changed. You know, you have these like big pivotal moments, but everything's still the same. 
And so I thought, okay, what, what am I going to change? And luckily, Seattle is very far from Tucson where I was living. So I had a long drive home to, to figure out what to do. And one of the things I decided was that I wasn't going to hide anymore. And that if, if it ever came up organically, I would share my orientation with someone. So shortly after I got back to Tucson, I was playing volleyball with some, with some friends from church. And a new guy had just moved to town who was there on a medical school rotation. And after playing volleyball, and this was the first time we'd ever talked. And after playing volleyball, we were talking out in the parking lot. And he was just kind of unloading all of his, all of his dating troubles on me, like all of his girl problems. And I'm a good listener, so I guess he like he could tell me. <laughs> and then after all that, he said, so how's your dating life? Do you have any girl troubles as well? And I said, and I was like, oh, this is the moment. This, this is, is yeah. yeah. And I, I said, no, I, I don't. I'm actually not dating right now um, because I'm gay. And he was so kind about it and so understanding. And I thought, okay, I, I can do this. Then as I just, you know, practice that vulnerability and being open and honest with people, you know, I was just received with like so much love and kindness and, you know, sometimes a bit of ignorance, but when people knew better, they, they did better. Uh, but this was something that I hadn't expected to happen. Uh, as I shared what, like, like my shame, the self-hatred I'd experienced, what I'd been hiding, people just like responded with vulnerability and, and, and opened up their hearts too. And this, this is a, this is a, a, a pretty tender experience where I was at church one day and I just come out to a friend uh, the night before. And after church, she said, can we talk? I, since you trusted me, there's something I want to share with you. And we, we went and found like an empty classroom in the church. And, and she told me how, like, like this really terrible thing that had happened. And she wasn't sure that God loved her. And we just like sat and cried. And I got to like walk in her shoes and, and experience her life. And, and just, it's something I, I'd never known about. And so now as I share my story, you know, I get to hear about, about people who've experienced divorce, whether of parents or, or their own life, or people with mental health struggles, or people who, who've experienced racism and, and prejudice, and, you know, what it's like to be an immigrant to the U.S., like all these things I didn't know about. And, you know, so many stories of, the, the things that shocked me the most are like stories of people like I knew well, but they didn't tell me until I opened up to them. And so my heart has just burst open with so many wonderful experiences of, of learning from other people. And I remember one specific example, talking to a friend um, in college, she was telling me that, you know, she always walked home uh, carrying her keys in her hands in case someone attacked her so she could use her keys to protect her. And I was like, what? That is crazy. I've never for one moment been afraid that I'd be attacked walking to my car. And she said, what? How can you not worry about that? And I'm like, we just have different lives and different experiences. But now that I know that, that I'm aware that I can try and make her life a little better and her life a little, a little safer as well. And so the real lemonade for all this has been, you know, I thought my orientation was going to be this thing that if people knew about it, they would hate me. But what it's done is it's brought so much love and kindness into my life. It's helped me to love people more fully as I get to see them as well. Yeah, it's brought you so I love that you said when you're vulnerable, other people are vulnerable with you, because that's what it's all about is just being true and real. And I think that's the whole message behind, you know, just being real and being who you are. And you'll bring other people to your life that love and accept that and they'll be vulnerable with you. And so it's a great way for all of us to connect with each other by just being real, like stop putting up the act and the and the walls just yeah. admit who you are and be comfortable with that. And people will find you that need you. Yeah, 100%. And that, that's been, 
exactly the case for, for me in my life as well. And it wasn't like I didn't want to be me. I just, I, like, I didn't have the courage to be me. I just, like, yeah. couldn't accept that that was my reality. Of course. And so it took, yeah. it took being to a place where, like, hitting rock bottom a couple of times, you know, with regards to my orientation, that I was even able to say, like, even, even allow the thought to occur in my head, I think I might struggle with same-sex attraction. Which is not what I, which is which was the softest way to say it back then, um, and that's not how I I self describe, self identify as gay, not as struggling with same sex attraction, but like just like even allowing that thought, that was terrifying, yeah. And then to verbalize that thought, like so terrifying, but now it's like led me to this world that's just like beautiful and wonderful. So, what's some advice you would give to someone who might be struggling right now? Yeah. Um, you know, the main piece of advice that I would have is, is, is really look at your core values. Like what, what is your value system? And for me, you know, some of my core values were, you know, family, connecting with family, you know, trusting them, loving them, you know, loyalty to family, th- those kinds of things. Uh, but I also have the, this really strong core value that, that there's a bigger purpose in the universe. That there's something bigger than me and a divinity that, that I want to connect with. And so for me, connecting with that divine source, you know, for me, God has been so important uh, to try and figure out um, what, what, the, what the right path is for me. Um, and that has been so wonderful and, and so helpful. And the thing, the thing I say all the time is that God is going to surprise you. And um, I, I, was, I was speaking at an event once and someone raised their hand and they said, well, what do I do if I'm so scared about my future? And I said, well, what I'm hearing you say is you're scared of the unknown you think it's going to be bad you know but there's also a lot of unknowns that are going to be good and unknowns that we could never even have pictured part of my trusting in god and like trusting the goodness of the universe is that i have no idea what my life will look like five years from now what it will look like 10 years from now but i know that the best things that are going to come are things that i can't even picture yet right and yeah so like like right now i'm i'm, I'm 38 I'm, I'm single i'm not dating i i plan on on actively participating in my church for the rest of my life and living church teachings. And I imagine myself staying single. I thought that would lead to a life of a lot of loneliness. And uh, right now, the last four years, I've, I've lived with an 88-year-old widow. Well, she's 88 now. She's 84 when I'm dealing with her. And uh, she's been a widow for 21 years. And she and I had just, like, become the best of friends. Like, we're so close. And so, like, like we're family. You know, I remember one night thinking... Charlotte would much rather live with her husband than live with me. And I'd rather have a partner than, you know, live with Charlotte. But neither of those things are true, but we get to have each other. I, I, I've been, I'm a, like a real adult with a job and everything, but like, I don't own anything. Like I don't own a bed or a couch or a house because I live at Charlotte's house and use her stuff. And, you know, a little while ago, I was thinking, I just, I'm an adult. I need to just buy a house. It's time to just grow up and move on. And I told Charlotte I was going to go to her house. And she was so sad, just like so, so sad. And I was like, Charlotte, I, I'm an adult. Like, I can't live here forever. And then, then as I was driving, driving away to go look at the house, I remember thinking, I cannot make life decisions based on this woman who's not even my fan. Like, I cannot make my life choices based on a friend. Uh, I said to make my right, like the choices that work best for me. And I thought about it and I was like, but I will do whatever God wants me to do. And I prayed about it really fervently. I just felt so strongly, I'm supposed to live with Charlotte. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Like, she needs me. I need her. I just got back from a trip last night. 
And every time I'm gone, Charlotte's just like so excited I'm back to chat about it. She tells me what's been up in her life. It's just been so nice to um, have someone who is like excited that I'm like misses me when I'm gone and, and is excited when I'm back. So the reason I share all that is that there's this big principle that I think is so important for, for me in my life. I think hopefully will, will be beneficial to others is that like if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be openly gay and loving living with this 88 year old widow. I was like, that's insane. Like, that's, that's absurd. Um, and yet that's what's, that's what's happened. And it's beautiful and wonderful. And, and so I would say just trust that as you do your very best, that beautiful things that you couldn't even have imagined will happen. I love that trusting the beautiful things, especially stuff you can't imagine. And you're a perfect example of that. And even that you have a book and a podcast and work for a church that doesn't align with how you live your life. Like that's, that's amazing too. What a beautiful miracle that all this has come into your life. Yeah, and, and Heidi, just, just one, one clarification I make is, you know, I, I do follow church teachings. So I'm not dating and I'm not pursuing a same-sex relationship. Um, but, you know, I, I do have questions and, and I do wonder and I and sometimes it gets hard and I just have to, like, allow myself to, like, live in this wrestle, like live in this tension of some things don't always make sense. And yet I feel confident in this path I'm on. Yeah, that's an amazing place to live. I love that. That's a great state of mind because we're all like that. <laughs> like none of us know what the future is going to be, whether we live with, you know, a spouse or not, or alone or not. And like, none of us know what five or 10 years down the road will be. We all think we have it figured out, but just enjoy the moment, embrace it, be where you're at and see what comes. Yeah, and, and that's that's exactly right. And that's, that's what's worked for me. And yeah. you know, I'm really grateful for that long drive I had from Seattle to Tucson, because I was able to ask myself, okay, what isn't working that I can change? Right. And the truth, one of the true things about life is if we keep doing the same things, we're going to end up with the same results. And so yeah. I think it's good for all of us to just like take time to think about, okay, what in my life isn't working that I can change? It doesn't have to be a big thing. And for me, it was just like, okay, I'm not going to lie in this one specific instance. And that changed my world. I totally changed my life. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. Just kind of that little 1% change too. you know, just thinking, like you said, just stop lying about your true identity and just be real. And it changed your life. And so something simple or as hard as that can do the same thing for anyone. Just embrace where you're at and be honest with yourself and see what comes. Yeah, totally. You, You talk about, you know, lemonade and, and, you know, how we like these mixtures of our life and how something sour can turn to to something sweet. One, one, one of the metaphors that's just like really meant so much to me is uh, this metaphor in First Corinthians chapter 12 that talks about the body of Christ. Paul, who, who wrote this epistle to the Corinthians, he said, you know, he says that we're all part of one body. And he says, you know, you, a hand can't say to a foot, I don't need you. And I can't say to an ear, I don't need you. But every member is needed. Uh, and then he says, and God has placed every member exactly where he wants it to be. You know, I tried to like fit into this thing of like, I'm going to be a straight person. I'm going to be a husband and a father and do this thing. But instead, I ended up being this gay single person. And it has been a really beautiful experience for me to like lean in to where God has placed me in this world and just like do my best with the circumstances that have been given me instead of trying to change things I couldn't change. Uh, and then just do those things. And I, I realized there are things that a single gay man can do that a married straight man can't. 
and I'm going to do those things. And so for me, like like the lemons and the lemonade is like, well, it would be easier to be this, like at least it would seem easier to be this thing. But as I really, you know, lean into lean into this and and really like like squeeze the reality of my life, and then and I feel like that the sweetness and the sugar is like just like this acceptance of where God has placed me. And then the thing that was like this bitter hard thing becomes a really beautiful thing that hopefully not only blesses me, uh, but blesses the other the other members of the body of Christ that are in my sphere of influence. So beautifully said. You're so inspiring to those that are probably struggling right now with wondering what they should do and they're torn, especially torn between their religion and their identity. That's got to be a very, you hear about this probably daily, and it's probably going to be something very inspiring to those who are struggling with that. And I just appreciate your voice and speaking up and helping those that are yeah. just not sure where to turn or what to do. And you're this guiding light in their life. So thank you. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. Of course, I can I share just one final thought. Absolutely. So when I wrote my book, my biggest fear, you know, I ended up in a place where I think a lot of Latter-day Saints would want me to end up. You know, I'm active in the church. You know, I'm living church teachings, and for most LGBTQ people I know in in, in my life who grew up in, in the same church, they don't end up sticking around. Yeah. Um, and so my life is different than than most. Yeah. And so my biggest fear in writing my book and sharing my story is that people are going to like look at my life, my story, and think, well. Ben figured it out. I can just be like Ben. So, I wrote, so with that fear in mind, I wrote this on the second to last page of my book. And I wrote, I have one parting request. If you were tempted to give this book to an LGBTQ friend or loved one, I would ask you to resist that temptation and pause for a moment. Instead of giving them my story, can you invite them to tell you theirs? And so, you know, I believe so much that like, like everyone's story is important. Everyone's story is valid. Everyone's story matters. And so I'm so grateful for the listeners who took some time to listen to my story today. My story is the story that matters the least. The story that matters the most is the LGBTQ people that everyone has in their lives and really listen to them and hearing their stories as well. Yeah. I love the hearing their stories. Don't talk to them. Listen to them because you already know what you need to say and what you believe and you need to listen and hear their side and hear what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And that's what I love about your mom of just like, I'm going to hold space for you and love you. And she just listened and checked on you regularly and just how's it going for you? You know, she wasn't trying to fix you or try to change you or try not to accept you or blame herself. I'm sure she went through a little grieving, of course, like you said, but you know, she's, she's a good mom to just listen. And I think that's great advice. We need to do that. Yeah. 100%. And I'm so glad that you are sharing it. So thank you. This has been so enlightening to me today and, you know, shed some tears as well. And I just feel for you and what you're doing. And I'm just so proud of you. And I just am so grateful I met you. Well, thank you, Matt. You're so kind. No, Heidi, you're great. And I, I really appreciate this time and you know, you taking the time to listen and ask questions and ele elevate my voice. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get it out there so everybody can hear this and and know that we can choose better too. So that's yeah, a great example. Thank you, thank you. have enjoyed spending this time with you. You might have a friend struggling with the same thing that we talked about in this episode that might enjoy listening to this too. So please share this episode because no one is alone at the lemonade stand.